0: From the Lake County Wine Grape Commission and UC Davis, this is The Vine Line, an in-depth look at issues that winemakers and grape growers face across California. In this episode, Dr. Andrew Walker, a professor at the Department of Viticulture and Enology at UC Davis, brings us up to date on GRN rootstocks and their unique ability to fight disease. At a forum held in Lakeport, California, in the spring of 2019, Dr. Walker spoke about how these rootstocks are at the cutting edge of the fight against disease. Um, So I'm gonna update you on the GRN rootstocks. These rootstocks were developed quite a few years ago now to address multiple nematode issues in the soil. Uh, These are problems we used to solve with fumigants. Uh, very effectively, extremely effectively, and we don't any longer because we can't. Uh, And we we probably won't develop any new ones, in fact, over time. There might be a few, but they're not going to be as effective as as methyl bromide. Uh, It's a key issue. So we have only one other alternative, two other alternatives. One, don't grow grapes and rotate out to some other crop, or two, change that root system between plantings. So you're making sure that you're having a new new, uh, pest uh, resistance uh, interaction between these nematodes and, and the soil. That's really important, I think, very, very critical. So that's why these stocks were developed, to develop a new group of materials that had different parentages, that had different levels of resistance, different breadth of resistance, to try to provide that opportunity to resist these problems. So these aren't, these aren't first-generation vineyard problems. These are second and third and, and long-term vineyard situation problems. And if we're going to stay in those spots based on their quality and, and their permanence, pre- uh, then, then we're stuck with other solutions. So this this research has been funded by the California Great Blue Stock Commission, uh, the Proven Advisory Board, which is another nursery association, American Vineyard Foundation, the Tableau Commission, Rossi and Dow Charitable Funds, and uh, the e Gallo Winery has funded a, a postdoc for the project as well. So, when these were developed, we went out and I thought about what was available. Uh, I had the advantage of being there at the time and and watching other materials from the previous generation deteriorate or not do quite as well as they should have. So, we decided we'd start focusing on first root-knot nematode and we used a very standard strain. uh, And we eliminated about about 2,000 of 5,000 seedlings that we generated in 1993-94. We then went out and developed a new resistant or new very aggressive strain of nematodes. So we went to old old Thompson, old Thompson vineyards on Freedom and Harmony down the San Joaquin Valley. We brought back infected uh, soils or, or infested soils from infected areas. And we selected out of there two very aggressive strains of root-knot nematode that feed very aggressively on Freedom and Harmony. So we wanted a, a standard to, to aim for. Uh, so we tested them against that. Uh, we went down from about a, th- a thousand seedlings down to some, more like 30 or 40 at that time period which, that would resist all those nematodes at once. Then we tested against those nematodes in a high soil condition, high high temperature condition in the soil. And most of the root-knot nematode resistance from all species, across tomatoes, peppers, grapevines, fruit trees, breaks around 85 degrees in the soil. So these are warm weather conditions. They're not uncommon in in the San Joaquin Valley. They're less common on the North Coast. Uh, But there are situations where you get the soil temperatures high in the soil profile that'll actually stimulate the the breakdown of those resistances and, and stimulate the increase of aggressive strains as well. So we, we called those Harmony A and Harmony B. We selected one of each. They turned out to be different species over the years. We then tested them against root knot or dagger nematode that vectors family virus. Then we did all those nematodes at once, combined and at high temperatures. So we decided to really let it, to let it have them. And in the end, we ended up with about 10 plants that did well across those backgrounds. And um, uh, in the end, we released five of those, 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 uh, them, those uh, resistant stalks as well. So those were also tested against ring nematode and probably our most serious replant disease phenomena exists with infestations of ring nematode. Again, citrus nematode, which is surprisingly common because it came from southern San Joaquin Valley soils and has moved north. Uh, lesion nematode, ping nematode, we tested all in those, those situations. And then we, we, uh, uh, we released them and we've been testing them in, in vineyard sites with high populations in, around the state. The backgrounds aren't the same as what you see normally, and we've just completed a study that shows that virtually all of the important rootstocks that we use around the world are based on the same species, which you knew already, but what you didn't know is the exact same genotype of those species. So all the rootstocks we talk about as being riparia-based have riparia gloire in them. Virtually all the ones we talk about being rupestris-based have St. George in them. Virtually all the ones that we talk about with Berlandieri, there's only one Berlandieri selection in those backgrounds, too, one called Resigiae. That's disturbing. (laughs) It'd been nice to know that about 40 years ago and to think about how we would approach this, but we didn't have the tools to really look at the parent of these things very, very, very closely. But these are all different backgrounds, except for the riparia. So the first question you probably might have after a talk like this when I talk about diversity and how we have to break up these these interactions between the pests and the the host uh, would be, why don't you not use riparia? And why not not use rupestris? Well, we have to use those two species because they're the only two uh, resistant species in American species that root well from dormant cuttings. So you're stuck. If we're going to graft plants from a dormant background, we have to have those, those in the background. We can change the Berlandia very readily. We can also change the repair and the rupestris readily, but we didn't know that we should or had to in the past. So these backgrounds do have the same riparia gloire in them, some of them, uh, that's in there to make them root more effectively. And the resistance is coming from Champigny which is Dog Ridge or Ramsey and Rufo tomatosa is a funny species of uh, sort of a hybrid form of scenario that, that lives in Florida but most of those won't root so you've got to make sure you improve their, their rootability. So we released these things. We called them GRN 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Grape rootstocks for nematodes. Uh, that, that's their very fanciful name. And I originally wanted to call them something more creative, but the patent office wouldn't go there. Wouldn't go there. So I thought Nemex or Nemabegon or Neminator, which is my favorite one. Uh, it turns out that Monsanto owns every use of Nem. They, they, they trademarked that or copyrighted it. So you couldn't, uh, they, they could release it in different backgrounds of tomatoes and fruit trees or whatever else over time. So there's a table you can look at. It's in, it's in the handouts if, you, if and when you get them that you're welcome to look through these things. And again, uh, they're variable resistance to citrus ring and, and the lesion nematode. But they're all resistant to the root knot and the dagger nematode complexes. Of these rootstocks, uh, only one... Only one would probably have resistance to fan leaf. So we, we talk about having resistance to the nematode, but we already know that it's not enough to be resistant to the nematode vector of fan leaf. You've got to be resistant or tolerant to the virus as well. And the GRN1 is the only one that has rotunda folia in the background, and we know that that's our own, own only really good source of resistance to, to fan leaf. Uh, we know that from all the work we've done with O3916, the only stock we have with good tolerance to that disease. Uh, and it has, it's half uh, rotunda So this is a rupestris rotunda m- uh, material, GRN1. Uh, to tell you about GRN1 is about four hours worth of information, so we're not going to go there. But uh, this resistance is based on retundifolia. Retu- That's the good news and the very bad news. The bad news is that it won't, pr- won't root at all from dormant cuttings. So we have problems propagating materials that are, that are hybrids of rotunda Okay, so there's the sort of suite of stuff we're going to work with. So these have been in trials now around the state. The two most important trials, I think, in terms of maintenance, development, evenness, uh, pest pressure, are one we have down with Gallo and and Lodi, and one we have up close to here in Geyserville with Pheno Farms. Uh, The Gallo site is Malbec. It's on a sandy clay loam. It's an area where there's a fairly intense fan leaf and lots of nematode pressure from a whole host of other nematodes. It's on a big wide trellis. Uh, it's a fairly large planting, and, and we've had trouble getting good pruning weights because the, the manager is extremely compulsive and likes to get everything cut back right away at the start of the start of the dormant dormant season. So we frequently have missed our pruning weights there. Uh, this last year Gallo has gone through and done a very generous uh, uh, allocation work for us. They went through and did t- uh, small-scale wines. They did berry analysis. They did juice analysis. Uh, they did the whole harvest work, so we've not really had that before. I don't have that data tabulated yet, but uh, you'll hear about it over time here. We're trying to get some sort of publication combining all this information in one big suite of information uh, very soon. So this has 13 rootstocks in it at Gallo, not just the GRN 5, uh, 1 through 5. You'll, you'll see uh, the other ones here in a second. Uh, it's in 5, 5, fine reps. It's randomized, and uh, we've had it in the ground since 2012. One of the problems with rootstock trials is when do you report the information? So as a, as a young faculty member, you want to report that information as quickly as possible. As an old faculty member, you don't care anymore, but it actually changes, changes a lot over time. Uh, year 3, year 5, year 15 are very different sort of numbers and values in these backgrounds. They perform very differently. So as, we, as these sites get older, they, they represent what these things will be doing more so over time. Uh, the Geyserville site in Vino Farms is Cab. It's a Yolo loam, Yolo clay loam. It's on a 10 by 7. It's on a VSP system. Uh, it's bilateral cordon, spur, spur pruned, and it also is a fairly fairly aggressive nematode site. In fact, it's been in two and a half vineyards since I've known about it over the last 25 years. So it's a, it's an aggressive spot where, where there's severe fan leaf as well. It has 11 rootstocks again, and uh, we've had some some other data there too, uh, over time. So here's the pruning weights from 15 and 16. I don't have any more current stuff than that. We, we missed two years because of pre-pruning, and uh, the last year Gallo has, has not given it back to me yet. But that hasn't changed very much. Um, Overall, in this site, the things that had changed quite a bit are St. George, which has since then become much weaker, which is a good sign. St. George is in this thing as a control. We want to see it as the most sensitive rootstock to nematode feeding in general. We'd like to see it declining uh, rapidly. Uh, 1103 is sort of intermediate. Uh, GRN1 has been sort of intermediate as well to give you some sort of feeling for it. We also put in in both these plots RS3 and RS9. They're two rootstocks from UC Riverside um, that have done, in general, pretty good against nematodes and not very well on these plots over and i'll show you some of that information here in a second uh... yields have been reasonable ranging from rs three and nine at the end uh... so they have been yielding well to grn one two and and the 03916 at the other other extreme uh... with the highest yields um, they've been fairly active the bricks bricks value is, is, is the harvest bricks on a given date so grn1 is the most uh, uh, maturity enhancing and RS3 and 1103 Paulson would be the, the most delaying in terms of ripeness over time. The stuff from Geyserville appears on three, three years' worth of information, uh, so probably the, the dark blue lines are the best to look at as you look through them. Again, GRN1 is fairly weak. O3916, uh, as we already know, is very strong. And one of the reasons we selected GRN1 is because it is relatively weak, weaker than O3916, so we wanted an alternative that suppressed vegetation. You'll see in a minute here, it, it doesn't have a big impact on the, on the fruit. So it's one of those magical devigorating stocks that actually ha- maintains yield while decreasing vegetation, and that's not very common in the, in the grape uh, lexicon. There's 1616C, which is a very low vigor stock with very low yields at the same, same time. So you can see there's some differences there. And the GRN 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, uh, there's some variation. 2 has generally been one of the stronger ones. 3 is fairly strong as well, uh, there's some advantages to 5, but we'll, we'll talk about that one in a second here too. Here's the effect on, on uh, yields, and ranging from GRN1 across to 11.03 at the other end, just to give this this one is in a um, uh, parentage or, or utility background, I guess, uh, listing here. Uh, RS3 and RS9, low yields, low vegetation. Uh, they've not done well on this very gravelly site in Garzaville, and they've not done well the, on, an, on a clay loam site in, in Lodi. Um, and we're not quite sure why, whether it's a, the blend of nematodes that are there, because uh, they performed relatively well in other, other spots. So there's a series of plots that Constellation has out as well. There's quite a few of them scattered around the state, mostly in the Madeira area and further south. Uh, the, the one plot here with Petit Verdot. there's several of these at the same time on sandy chronically nematode problem sort of sites. They're all mechanized, so we don't really have good pruning weights on these sites. It's hard to, with mechanized pruning and, and control and hedging back to really get good pruning data. They have high index, high americanum, high ring, high root knot and ping and pin. Uh, although it's uh, slightly variable across some of these plots, too. Oops. So for, in terms of the nematode counts, uh, they, they, they did pretty well, the GRN series, across the way. The ring counts were high on everything except for ours, our, our, our GRN1 and O3916. They're the only two rootstocks we have with relatively good and consistent ring nematode resistance. And again, ring nematode is probably the most problematic replant nematode we have across the state at this point. Um, You can have extraordinarily high counts on mature vines that apparently have very limited effect on them, and uh, those same plots will not allow the establishment of young vines. So they hit this young root system. again, the benefit of fumigation is killing most everything down about a foot and a half to two feet in the soil, and that's what we're not getting when we're not using that. At the Madeira sites that just went through and ranked a lot of day they had from, in, in terms of yield, so freedom with the highest yields in the site, so it's doing fairly well in the plots. RS3, 1103, and uh, RS9 doing fairly poorly. Uh, this is the eff- effect now of, of nematodes on 1103 Paulson. Uh, you'll hear frequently that 1103 has pretty good nematode resist- resistance. It, it doesn't. Uh, in a controlled potted vine system, we've never seen very good resistance. But in the field, it often outgrows nematodes. So it depends on what nematodes are there there, and what's, what's available for it to feed on. It has a very aggressive root system that sort of grows out of these problem areas. Uh, in terms of, of sugar, again, it's the hastening of maturity, the, the levels they're getting. This site is quite different than the other. Uh, free, freedom is, is uh, hastening maturity. 1103 is, is, uh, is just, it, it, well, same with last part, it delays uh, maturity in those sites too. Some pH values to tradable acidity to give you just some sort of feel for that information. So there's a lot of variation. And again, If we come back in five years and do this again, uh, it'll show different values quite quite often. Uh, Again, the older vines really sort of settle into their spots. So in general, what are we looking for in terms of augmenting uh, the GRM materials? Uh, We're trying to get salt and drought tolerance into them to make that more effective in terms of a breadth of of, uh, activations. Uh, We're trying to add ring nematode resistance from attendifolia and a couple other forms of of acerifolia and one one form of um, scenario that we're trying to blend blend in that have very high ring resistance too. We would like to get some virus tolerance and I think that's going to be the last thing I really attempt in my career as an active faculty member is trying to get the foundations laid for rootstocks that resist or tolerate virus infection, particularly the red leaf infections uh, and, and the red blotch and the others where we can avoid the graphing compatibility symptoms and actually uh, suppress some of the impact of these viruses on these backgrounds. Uh, I think we're, we're getting to the point now where I, at least I'm feeling I'm more accepting of the fact that we're not going to get rid of all the viruses. The certification program is very useful. Useful, very important, but the way we bring material in and distribute it and propagate it, it's not conducive to really keeping a very clean stock uh, and foundation for that stock all the way through. So it would be nice to have rootstocks you could use that you knew wouldn't express disease as severely. And G- when Jim was around, Jim Moper was around, we used to chat about this a lot, and he was highly critical about this concept. He said, you shouldn't do that. We need to force the certification system to work properly and completely. And I would say, well, you know, with, it doesn't Uh, so what about an alternative that would actually function in that sense too so i'm going to give it a go We, we have some materials we know that are tolerant uh they're not great materials so axr1 is quite tolerant of virus infection of almost all sorts of course we wouldn't use that again and it may be the vinifera component alone in that rootstock that allows it to tolerate it but we have to avoid that entirely but we also know that saint george is quite tolerant uh, St. George has no nematode resistance whatsoever, uh, so it's a little different perspective, but we could maybe use some of that in the backgrounds. We know we have very high, res- high sus- uh, sensitivity and freedom, very high sensitivity in 101 so we can look at these matched sets and pairs now and start to understand it, and that's, that's been moving along relatively rapidly. Uh, We want to do more work with genetic mapping to get good markers for all these traits so we can actually intergress them more rapidly. We can screen for the the presence of DNA uh, sequences and, and traits and match those things together and push them into different backgrounds more effectively. Uh, We've been developing campus rootstock trials and and focusing more on those now than we did in the past. The hope was in the past we'd have good grower collaborators that would make things work very well, but it's very hard to get the data you need when you want it, when you have to have it with grower trials. So we're putting in big campus trials with 101.14 and 11.03 Paulson as sort of signposts in terms of how they should perform. So those are going in, and we continue to to really put in field trials with, with farm advisors around the state. Just a couple things I wanted to to remind you about here. Grape roots last a long time, and these are roots that were taken from Chapelet Vineyard uh, above Lake Hennessy. Uh, This is a vineyard that had been removed six years prior to this. There was no foliage whatsoever. Uh, It was a slate hillside. It was during the middle of the drought, and we dug down with a backhoe sparking all the way down, and we finally got to the four feet down, and I said, well, let's stop and look for some roots. There were old terraces there, so we knew where the roots might be, but there were very few roots present. I took a few of these roots home, I put them in a Ziploc bag, I sat them on my desk and forgot about them. And in a few weeks, those bags started sweating, so there was something alive inside of there. It might have been bacteria. In two or three more weeks, they started growing new roots. So there's a new root, there's callus at the end of all those cuts. The roots are alive sitting down in the soil for six years without a top on them, on them at all. And that's concerning, right? So <laughs> that means how do you fallow, how do you root rake, how do you, remove, how do you remove this inoculum, and how do you remove the food source for those leftover nematodes and phylloxera that are in the soil? And the answer is you don't. Uh, so you better be using a better strategy in terms of, of rootstocks and, and, and rotating those rootstocks more effectively to discourage evolution of more aggressive types. So that was just something that goes in the back of my brain. This is the, uh, the a graphic version of that same thing I told you. The rootstocks are all based on the same three genotypes, not species. We already know that there were species parentage groupings, but now we know. We know that they're in fact the same genotype that made these things too. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's warning to me that I should be utilizing more and more and a more broadly arrayed germplasm in these, in these selections and crosses than we have in the past or my, my, my successor will be doing the same situations. Fortunately, I've been making some inroads into that, and we now have about 1,200 accessions of wild grape species from the southwestern United States uh, from collection sites that have been made all through the Southwest over the last 20 years, 25 years almost. Down in New Mexico where things that almost collected we still have, and we did that because we found great PD resistance and great Ziphenema resistance in these backgrounds. We've also found very good resistance to root-knot nematodes. We have extraordinary levels of salt tolerance in these backgrounds and we should have drought tolerance in some of these situations as well. Uh, so we've been concentrating on a lot of these new materials. Some of the most important are right here along the Red River, Vitus dueniana, which you haven't heard of before probably, which is a hybrid of candy cans and acerifolia. And it's only found right along the Red River here and it grow, they grow in 12% seawater. Uh, not bad, it's pretty salty material and they're, they're, they're developing new leaves and, and doing well. They also have extraordinary root systems that may be too extraordinary. They may be too vigorous and too vigor-inducing, but we're trying to use those in crosses now and, and work with them. And again, in the PD zone, we have almost all of our PD resistance through these backgrounds, some of it's single gene, some of it's multi-gene, and we've we been able to use a lot of that as well. What do we know about droughts out for so we've worked a long time now on drought resistance and it's almost all based on architecture if you have large deep plunging roots you have some degree of drought tolerance and we, we know that's been the case we haven't been able to map this it's a quantitative trait it's hard hard to really get good genetics on the whole thing but the more fibrous the root system is and the more horizontally placed it is the weaker it is and the less vigor it is vigor inducing it is as opposed to the deeper more plunging ones and here's 110 and, and 101.14, which you both know about as well. Uh, 101.14 turns out to be the most flat-rooted of all the rootstocks. It's very horizontal, very, very shallow, not very plunging. uh, Probably quite prone to physical damage through soil cracking when you have heavy clay soils as well. Here's uh, Repair Gloire and Ramsey side by side, and again this fibrosity aspect, this, these fine fibrous roots uh, are, are, are the uh, problematic part of this. Uh, this morning I was answering emails about, about growers complaining about rootstock materials and they said we don't have any deep roots on these materials, or we have too many deep roots on these. I said well, be patient, uh, some of these things are going to grow into a different sort of background over time as well. Um, Here's some information, salt tolerance, at 75 millimolar, this is 12% seawater essentially. And we have the standards have been Ramsey in the the industry or Salt Creek, it's not really very resistant at all. It's again, like 1103, able to outgrow these problems and just keep producing new root systems. Schwarzman, which the Australians have been more happy about, uh, is relatively good. It's compared to Ramsey, not as good as these guys on the far, far left. Uh, now 140 Rigeri, which is our best commercial rootstock for salt tolerance by far uh, in, in terms of uh, ability diff- on different sites. And then we have all these little funny guys. These are Acerfolia trilisii, which is a form of verizonica and Gurdiana that we've collected in, in extreme saline areas across the southwest. And we have plenty of uh, resistance and tolerance now. These are all val- chloride um, values in the petioles. You're going to start seeing some different populations when you look at these materials. Again, here are these acerfolia types we've been looking at from, the, from the, that Red River area. Uh, these are seed populations from last year that we're just starting to work on now for this year. Uh, so we'll be screening these through very rapidly for, for salt tolerance. Uh, we'll propagate them, throw them in salt, and then we'll start testing for their nematode resistance after that. We have a handful or so here that were on campus field trials. We grafted these up last month, and we'll be putting these out on campus now to look at them. Uh same sort of situation. You can see these backgrounds are similar. Some of these are going to be very interesting. This T642 is a VR hybrid that we've been working with for quite some time. That's a vinifera-rotundifolia hybrid. We have to verify that it has good phloxera resistance. It took quite a while to do that. It's one of the few of these VR hybrids that has good rooting ability, too. Uh, so it's been moved forwards, And we've crossed it with St. George to improve its rootability. And so far, it looks like one of the best things we've produced for quite a while. Uh, it looks like it resists almost all the nematodes. It resists phloxera. It propagates relatively well compared to O3916. So the next question is, will it tolerate fan leaf? And that's what we're really Pushing on now to see if it'll tolerate that disease like O3916 does. Talked a little bit about this. We've been looking a lot about the family, f- um, uh, family situation with O3916. We now have a big campus plot put together over the last four or five years where we have the right combination of infections and lack of infections. Uh, these are plots where we want to see infection, and it, it, it's a tricky thing. So with O3916, it eventually becomes infected. Right, the cyan becomes infected. It does not show disease though, so there's some sort of tolerance that's induced by the root system. And now we have enough of these combinations to start clarifying how these interactions work in different reciprocal backgrounds of, of cyan and rootstock to really get a feel for this. So that's, that'll be pushing along here soon. That's Andy Nguyen's PhD work. Um, He's gone through and looked at a big population of 101.14 by Trashet, and Trashet is a rotundifolia. Uh, these values are all relative to O3916, and this is O3916 when it doesn't get infected, which is typical when it's young. It takes a long time to really get it infected. And in that seedling population, we have a very broad range of responses to the virus. Uh, so we're looking for uh, why that happens and maybe tra- using that to trace through how these, these tolerances exist and, and it can be defined more, more clearly. The red leaf virus tolerance, again, I've already mentioned, this is stuff that Deborah Galeno and Dee uh, De Browani began with field plants over a long, long trial, uh, 10 to 15 years before they were convinced, and I said, we need a system that'll find out whether these are tolerant or not very rapidly. So Nahal Buskin and Shamwa Quay began these studies with Cecil Aguero a while back, uh, where we started trying to define how this works and whether we could do this in tissue culture very quickly and get a response in a year or six months as opposed to 15 years in the field Uh, so that's what we've been pushing for now and we're getting closer Uh, we have a good micrograph system in place we're seeing symptoms rapidly we can now detect the presence or absence of the virus in these backgrounds the virus is usually there at about the same levels but we see very different reactions at the graph union so we take these plants apart we cut the graph union apart after they've healed and we start looking the way that that cell tissue is, has uh, matured and developed and it, these problems occur at the cambium level where the cambium essentially dies off and rejects the infection from the scion so, we're finding stuff now that works better. And again, St. George and XR1 are quite different than all the other rootstocks we've looked at. Uh, we're now trying to pursue a broader range of materials to see if we can get over the XR hump in this, this whole situation. Thank you, Andy. Dr. Andrew Walker's presentation concludes our five part series on smoke, disease, and drought three important issues facing California grape growers. The vine line is produced in association with the Lake County Wine Grape Commission the UC Davis Department of Viticulture and Enology, and the UC Cooperative Extension. I'm Bill Grudy. See you next time.